The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a show that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview a high-profile public figure. In each show, I also highlight an exceptional company, organization, charity, or even an individual that does great work in the community. After the headlines, I have two interviews for you today. The first one is with Aram Hamparyan, the executive director of the Armenian National Committee of America to discuss Azerbaijan's latest attacks on Armenia and Artsakh, which are destabilizing the region. My second interview is with Dr. Alex Martin, a world-renowned expert and innovator of regenerative medicine with MetroMD and a very generous philanthropist. Because so many people have asymptomatic infection, 20 to 45% of people, it certainly is a killer of those who are the senior citizens and those with underlying conditions. Occasionally, you have an exception. We have a perfectly young, healthy person has very serious disease and died. That's a minority of that. But I don't see this disappearing the way SARS-1 did. The reason I say that is that it is so efficient in its, its ability to transmit from human to human that I think we ultimately will get control of it. I don't really see us eradicating it. I think with a combination of good public health measures, a degree of global herd immunity, and a good vaccine, which I do hope and feel cautiously optimistic that we will get, I think when you put all three of those together, I think we will get very good control of this. Whether it's this year or next year, I'm not certain. But I think ultimately, with a combination of good public health measures and a vaccine, that we may not eradicate it, but I think we will bring it down to such a low level that we will not be in the position that we're in right now for an extended period of time. Here are some headlines this morning. The U.S. tops 1,000 coronavirus deaths four days in a row as experts urge the country to shut down again. The country recorded 900 new virus-related deaths Saturday, down from 1,130 reported on Friday. Since the beginning of the pandemic, at least 146,460 Americans have died from the virus, according to data from Johns Hopkins University. How much below $600 are you willing to go? Well, the economy is getting stronger, and I think we have a chance to have a very strong economy, especially if some of the things that I just spoke about work. Uh, We want to have people go back and want to go back to work as opposed to be sort of forced into a position where they're making more money than they expected to make, and the employers are having a hard time getting them back to work. So that was a uh, decision that was made. I was against that original decision, but they did that. It still worked out well because it gave people a lifeline, a real lifeline. Now we're doing it again. Uh, They're thinking about doing 70 percent of the amount. The amount would be the same, but doing it in a little bit smaller initial amounts so that people are going to want to go back to work, as opposed to making so much money that they really don't have to. But we were very generous with them. 
As negotiations continue on the next coronavirus relief package, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said Congress will remain in session until there is an agreement on the measure and is approved by lawmakers. The most pressing issue for Congress is the expiration of enhanced unemployment benefits, which were implemented in an earlier coronavirus relief package and began to expire this weekend. Now, Mr. President, faced with the greatest economic challenge in 75 years and the greatest public health threat in a century, we Senate Democrats have been waiting for months for our Republican colleagues in the Senate to get serious about another round of emergency relief for the American people. Now that Senate Republicans have finally woken up to the calamity in our country, they've given up wishing it would go away following the President's wishing everything would go away to the detriment of this country. Our Republican colleagues have been so divided, so disorganized, and so unprepared they had, that they have to struggle to draft even a partisan proposal within their own conference. This before they talk to a single Democrat. This is before they even consider what the House has done. It does seem that sometime soon, Republicans may finally unveil a legislative proposal, or because they're so disorganized and divided and can't agree, a series of smaller bills that don't even amount to one coherent proposal. Even after all this time, it appears the Republican legislative response to COVID is ununified, unserious, unsatisfactory. Let me repeat that. Despite hitting the pause on the button on the Senate for three months, despite waiting more than 60 days after the House Democrats passed their plan to start work on their own, the Senate Republican response to COVID is ununified, unsatisfactory, and fundamentally unserious. From what we know, their proposal or series of proposals won't include food assistance for hungry kids, families where the parent has lost a job through no fault of her or his own, can't feed their kids in this proposal as we hear about it. From what we know, it won't include rental assistance or extend the moratorium on evictions that is keeping tens of millions of Americans with a roof over their heads. Millions of Americans have lost their jobs through no fault of their own. They can't pay the rent or the mortgage. Our Republican friends say, evict them. It won't provide hazard pay to our essential workers who have been risking their lives and their families' lives ever since this crisis began. It won't make the necessary investments in communities of color that have been ravaged by this virus, disproportionately so. It won't provide the new funding that state and local governments need to keep the bus drivers and sanitation workers, teachers, and so many others on the job. From what we know, it won't even include funding to ensure during this COVID crisis, our elections are safe this fall. Remarkably, the likely centerpiece of the Republican legislative response to COVID is not an aid package, for the 20 to 30 million unemployed Americans, or a massive influx of resources to test and trace and finally stop the spread of this evil disease, the centerpiece of the Republican proposal is a liability shield to protect big corporations from lawsuits if they put their workers at risk. Seriously, as COVID continues to surge throughout our country, 
and unemployment numbers rose again for the first time in weeks, Leader McConnell has made corporate immunity the centerpiece of this Republican response. Once again, the Republican Senate is far more comfortable providing relief to big corporations than relief to American workers and American families. How about, instead of shielding corporations from immunity, we shield renters from eviction? How about, instead of shielding corporations from immunity, we shield the unemployed from poverty? Even in those areas where the Senate Republicans seem to be moving a bit in our direction, it looks like they're coming, way sh coming up way short. Republicans aren't talking about providing enough resources to our schools to reopen safely. According to reports, the White House and Senate Republicans want to extend the enhanced unemployment benefits that Democrats secured in CARES, but only provide a percentage of a worker's former wage. That's right, America. If you've lost your job through no fault of your own and can't go back to work because this administration has mismanaged the crisis, Republicans want you to take a 30% pay cut in the middle of this crisis. Worse still, because Republicans dithered and delayed for so long, there will be an interruption in unemployment benefits. Eviction protections will expire no matter what we do because they waited until the last minute and even at this last minute can't seem to get their act together. Leader McConnell and Senate Republicans dismissed the House-passed HEROES Act because it inc included a few items that Republicans didn't think were absolutely necessary. Well, the Republicans can't even get their act together to provide the basics. Senate Republicans can't even get their act together to provide the basics. Food for kids, keeping America in their homes, preventing the unemployed from going into poverty, giving the economy the needed help so we can overcome this recession. You can't say you support essential workers and then refuse to give them hazard pay. You can't say you want to fix racial issues and then throw millions of Americans of color out of housing and off unemployment benefits during a pandemic. You can't say you want to honor John Lewis and then refuse to provide funding for safe elections. Congress needs to act quickly, but the developing Republican proposals are not going to get the job done. We need to immediately enter bipartisan, bicameral negotiations to develop a proposal that actually meets the moment and matches the scale of the crisis. Democrats are calling for the phase four coronavirus measure to maintain the 600 boost to unemployment benefits, but Republicans are against it. I stand with you no matter what. And if they launch the tear gas against you, they are launching the tear gas against me. We gave him his opportunity. Now he stands with us. This is not about, this is still about Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. His lives matter. Black Lives Matter. His lives matter. Black Lives Matter. His lives matter. Black Lives Matter. Lives matter. Portland, Oregon is now the focal point of nationwide protests sparked by the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis in May. 
the confrontation between protesters and federal paramilitants in Portland escalated early on Sunday morning when demonstrators finally broke down a steel fence around the courthouse after days of trying. But support for the latest Portland protests have also been driven by the president deploying federal agents to the city dressed in camouflage and using unmarked white vans to snatch protesters off the streets, a tactic that mayors of major cities have called chilling in a letter to the Trump administration. Despite the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and United Nations global ceasefire appeal, which Armenia has endorsed and Azerbaijan refused to sign, Azerbaijan has launched a military offensive against Armenia starting on July 12, deploying tanks and drones against civilians and military targets alike. My first interview today is with Aram Hamparian, the executive director of the Armenian National Committee of America, to discuss this ongoing Azerbaijani aggression. Let's get blunt. For today's Let's Get Blunt, I want to talk about something that should be redundant, but unfortunately, some people still underestimate the impact and the realness of this pandemic, COVID-19. I'm only sharing this very personal story with you because despite our best efforts, it's already become national news and covered on NBC, Yahoo, CNN, all over the place. A week ago, I lost one of my closest friends, Jeffrey Kurtzman, to COVID-19. Jeff was a flight attendant for the Hawaiian Airlines for over 30 years. We were inseparable. Jeff was one of the kindest, most generous, loving human beings I've ever known. And I'm still trying to grasp and come to terms with it. And he's the first person so close to me that I've known who's died of COVID. So it's, it's real. This is a real disease. If there are one or two or three people out there who are still downplaying it or just thinking it's blown out of proportion, let me just tell you, Jeff and I talked. He left for a camping trip, and then I never saw him again. So as I said, I normally don't share stories like this because to protect the privacy of my friend and the family, but the story found its way in national news made headlines in the last week. So I thought I'd share it with our listeners and just to tell you that I too am impacted by COVID-19 in a very real, personal and close way. So I want to be blunt about that, as uncomfortable as that is. Yeah. So let's get blunt and keep talking about it. Post with Vic. Aram Hamparian is the executive director of the Armenian National Committee of America, also known as ANCA. In this role, he serves as the National Advocacy Organization's point person with the administration, Congress, the media, and the Washington, D.C. foreign policy community. 
The Armenian National Committee of America is the largest and most influential Armenian American grassroots political organization, working in coordination with a network of offices, chapters, and supporters throughout the United States and affiliated organizations around the world. The ANCA actively advances the concerns of the Armenian American community on a broad range of issues. So Aram, thank you very much for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning after a very busy and eventful week that you've had. Thank you very much, Vic. Thank you so much for having me. So first off, congr- I mean, it's, it's strange to congratulate, but I think it is the congratulations to you and the Armenian National Committee of America and everyone else that worked on the passing of the Artsakh Eighth Amendment. Yeah, that was, that was a, a big step forward for us. Um, the Artsakh, uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, is a part of the Armenian homeland uh, that was um, is disputed now by Azerbaijan, but, but historically Armenian. And the United States has been funding the demining of that area uh, for, for more than 10 years now. Uh, but the Trump administration has tried to pull the plug on this program. And yesterday, the Congress stepped up and really pushed back very hard and passed an amendment that uh, ensures that funding for this life-saving program will continue. Okay. Yeah, that was really exciting. Is that, that's obviously going to go in front of the Senate next, correct? That's right. The Senate in the past has been supportive. We're working with uh, the Senate appropriators right now to make sure that there's a similar measure in the Senate bill so that when the bill goes to the president for his signature, uh, that there'll be, you know, a mandate for this program to continue. Because sadly, if the president is given any discretion on this issue, uh, it's very clear to us that he'll try to, to kill this program. Right. And Congresswoman Jackie Speer was fundamental in helping with this, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. She was great. Yeah, she was, she was definitely uh, front and center. I want to go back to the most important or the, or the biggest thing that's happened in the last couple of weeks for those that are not aware, and that is that Azerbaijan tried to use COVID-19 pandemic as a cover to launch new attacks against both uh, Artsakh, uh, also known as uh, Nagorno-Karabakh in Armenia, and risking Absolutely. starting a war, basically. Yeah, uh, starting on July 12th, they, they're, they uh, launched a pretty heavy attack using uh, artillery and special forces, and they were largely uh, they largely failed in their effort to take territory, but uh, this attack in Armenia was the, the biggest and the deadliest in, in about four years. Why now, do you think? Uh, well, there's, there's one theory which I think is fascinating, which is that if you track oil prices, mm-hmm. that whenever the price of oil drops, uh, Azerbaijan starts attacking. Uh, and that's, that may be because uh, their economy is in danger, people are unemployed, the government wants to distract uh, the population from uh, the domestic troubles, so they start trouble on the border. That's been a pattern that's actually held, that's, that's been consistent mm-hmm. for, for a couple of decades now. Uh, but the broader... Um, I guess perspective would be something like a lot of what Azerbaijan does regionally reflects its problems domestically, and uh, the Aliyev family has now, this one family has run the country for basically the last 50 years. Uh, the current president got the job from his dad, and after he became president, he made his wife the vice president. So it's like a definitely a family affair, and they've run this country like... It's a monarchy. Yeah, like a monarchy with their own ATM machine, their national treasury. Yeah. And um, so... I think that as the population gets frustrated with that government and as they look across the border and they see you know, more democracy, less corruption in Armenia, 
you know, people start wondering, hey, why, why can't we have that as well? And this is Aliyev's, President Aliyev's way of, you know, changing the, the subject. Yeah, it makes total sense. It reminds me of another president who does that to distract and deflect. <laughs> so, but right now things have calmed down for at least temporarily. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank God, on the border, there's this, this some small arms fire uh, from the Azerbaijani side, um, and there have been five deaths now on the Armenian side. There have been um, also deaths on the Azerbaijani side. We mourn, of course, every death. These are tragedies. No family should have to grieve for a lost son. But the root of this conflict, sadly, is is President Aliyev and Azerbaijan's ambition to, to subjugate a free people, to, to put a, a free people under their foreign rule, and that's just that just goes against the tide of history. The Hartsakh is a, a region, a people, a nation that should be free. And this is, the, the arc of history has moved in the direction of independence, self-determination, and democracy. The United Nations, which started with like less than 50 members, now has almost uh, almost 200 members. And that's precisely because nations are exercising their right to self-determination. And Azerbaijan is standing in the way of that and trying to say, no, we, uh, the Soviets colonized Hartsakh uh, for us, we get to keep it, and that's that's no claim. That's no claim to governance, right? The, the only just power government in that part of the world should come from the, the consent of the governed. And they, the people of Arctic had a referendum, you know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, and and they made their choice, and that choice should be respected. But instead, Azerbaijan's fighting a war, and uh, they seem intent upon, um, you know, conflict. Yeah, and that's why. Internationally, there was so much outcry condemning Azerbaijan for their aggression because most people in most nations understand uh, what self-determination means and the wishes of the people. Thank you for really summarizing that really well for everyone. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you're listening to my interview with Aram Hamparian, the executive director of the Armenian National Committee of America. I also want to talk about the, on July 21st, the House passed the Pallone Amendment demanding greater oversight of U.S. military aid to Azerbaijan. Yes, that was a very, very uh, powerful amendment authored by Congressman Frank Pallone of New Jersey. He's a founding member of the Armenian Caucus, and he's uh, the chair of the the House um, Energy and Commerce Committee, a very, very powerful committee uh, of the Congress. He offered an amendment that would allow the Congress to exercise oversight, to, to carefully monitor this very large military aid program that's going to Azerbaijan. Uh, for years and years, the, the U.S. military aid to Armenia and Azerbaijan was kept uh, at the same level to kind of keep the military balance and not to play favorites. Right. Uh, President Trump broke that entirely. He just, he just threw that idea, a very, very sound and sober idea, he threw that away and said, no, we're going to tilt heavily toward Azerbaijan and, and shipped about $120 million worth of defense assistance to, to Azerbaijan at the same time that he gave maybe 3 or $4 million to Armenia. And he signaled Azerbaijan that, you know, we're with you. And by the way, here are some new resources for your military. Um, the Congress has pushed back against that and said, first, you shouldn't do that. And there's efforts in place legislatively to stop the program, to constrain the president's assistance to Azerbaijan. But what Congressman Pallone did is he is demanding um, transparency in that program. And he wants to know, you know, where is this money going? How is it being spent? Are units that are benefiting, are units of the Azerbaijani military that benefit from this aid committing human rights violations? So his report will require 
uh, like a, a thorough audit of this aid program and something that I think President Trump and his administration want to keep in the shadows, Congressman Plum is bringing out into the sunshine. Yeah, that's um, that's such great news. Senator Pallone has been such a huge ally and a, a crusader for for Armenia and Artsakh. I want to ask you, why would President Trump or his administration all of a sudden decide that they're going to give Azerbaijan so much military aid? You know, the, we have tried very hard to get that answer, and it's been hard to get that answer. Members of Congress have inquired as well. If I had to, if I, my best estimate would be something like um, the United States has decided to overlook Azerbaijan's human rights violations and its aggression against Armenia because it's providing some regional service. And if, if, if we read the Trump administration and we understand that part of the world, it likely has to do with Iran. That there's some, um, some uh, Iran-facing activity that Iran has signed up for, whether that's intelligence or defense or, or economic, I don't know, something. Maybe it has to do with other parties in the region, perhaps uh, Israel also uh, might be involved. But for, for some, in, in the give and take of geopolitics, it would seem that uh, Azerbaijan has uh, agreed to cooperate in some fashion and that the administration is reciprocated by, by shipping them weapons. And that's, that's just reckless and it's pouring fuel on the fire. It is not, yeah. it is totally counterproductive. And it's bad diplomacy, but if, if the, the president, if in fact the president is pursuing like this unidimensional approach where, you know, um, I, he has a policy, let's say, on Iran, and to hell with the collateral damage, you know? Because now we're dealing with a situation that, well, if, there, if this is a reward to, to Baku, to, to a reward to Azerbaijan, but it might lead to war with Armenia, that's going to create a whole other set of problems. It's, it's just yeah. very, very troubling. And it, it, that aid program has to end. That military aid program has got to be, we, gotta, we have to, first of all, understand exactly what it is, and then make the case about why that's just a, a bad idea. Yeah, well, let's let's hope that things change on November 3rd. <laughs> this is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you're listening to my interview with Aram Hamparian, the executive director of the Armenian National Committee of America. Aram, I want to ask you, what else is on the horizon that I may not be aware of? Well, uh, we're working on the Nagorno-Karabakh, the, the, the Arts of we're working to get... Uh, to get that through on the Senate side and then into the final bill. That's a high priority for us. We're also, some issues that are not quite as sort of big ticket, but that are important to us is uh, that the Library of Congress not changed how it catalogs book, books on the Armenian genocide, even though the Congress passed resolutions on the Armenian genocide and the Library of Congress answers to the Congress. It's, a, it's an agency of the legislative branch. The, the, the Library of Congress, um, still catalogs or, some, or, or categorizes books based on the old heading of Armenian massacres. Uh, but having passed the genocide resolution, we think it's time for them to start you know, accurately cataloging them. They pushed back and said, well, we're not going to do that. It's not just the Congress. Uh, the, the administration has to agree as well. And that's, I think, disingenuous. So uh, we're engaged with them. We're also looking at um, the whole range of other legislative issues to help promote U.S.-Armenia relations, to, to, to build up the U.S. strategic partnership with, with Armenia. Um, we're looking at avenues to move genocide education into more American public schools. That's another high priority for us. Uh, there is, uh, right now, a 
many PBS affiliate stations, um, a documentary on the Armenian Genocide called What Will Become of Us, mm -hmm. and we're encouraging various PBS uh, affiliates around the country to, to air that. I think it's, it's aired in Los Angeles and, and Northern California and New York and Boston. We're still waiting for DC. There's a couple of other cities that, that we're, we're working on. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot on the shoulders of your shoulders and, and ANCA. Well, it's, 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 it's a light work because we have so many uh, helping hands. It's a, like a, literally when I say uh, tens of thousands, we literally have tens of thousands of people who are helping out in different ways. We have regional offices, local chapters, countless volunteers. And, um, and you know, through social media, I think we reached several million, several million people this past week who wanted to help out. Yes, indeed. Indeed, that was so well done. Just for our listeners, uh, if you want to get in touch with ARAM or the Armenian National Committee of America, the website is anca.org, so anca.org. And ARAM, any parting words, any call to action? Well, I, I, I would say thank you to all those who did answer our call to action. What we saw in Congress this past week uh, was truly the result of, of grassroots activism, people weighing in with the legislators. We were able to get this landmine removal program funded because of the grassroots. We were able to, to put a check on Azerbaijan's aggression because of the community support. So uh, Armenians, non-Armenians, uh, friends and allies uh, all stepped up and we're deeply appreciative. Fantastic. Well said. Um, Aram, thank you so much for taking time on your from your busy schedule and talking to me on The Blunt Post with Vic. You're always welcome. And until we speak next time. Thank you so much, Vic. Thank, Thank you. you. That was Aram Hamparian from ANCA, one of the busiest and hardest working people in Washington, D.C. Thank you for your time, Aram. The Blunt Post with Vic. Dr. Alex Martin is the Medical Director of MetroMD Institute of Regenerative Medicine in Studio City, California. Dr. Martin completed his postgraduate studies at the University of Southern California School of Medicine and received his medical degree from UCLA's Internal Medicine Medical Surgical Program at Cedars-Sinai. Among several specialties, Dr. Martin is world-renowned for stem cell therapy and its application for medical and cosmetic uses. Dr. Martin is also known for his advanced techniques in using human growth hormone for combating and slowing down the aging process, as well as muscle wasting in HIV patients and delayed growth in children. Dr. Martin's reputation goes beyond his advanced 21st century medical expertise and innovations. He is known for offering these procedures pro bono to countless children and adults who were in need but did not have the means for the treatments. They include HGH therapy for children with dwarfism and CO2 fractional laser treatments for burn victims. Hello, Dr. Martin. Welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. Thank you for being here with me today. Hello, Vic. Thank you for asking me to be on the show today. Thank you so much. I can only imagine as a physician how busy you are with COVID and, you know, your own, you know, your practice and all of that and going through all of this. So I appreciate the time that you've taken to be with me. And, you know, I'm familiar with you and your work and your benevolence and philanthropy is sort of 
very well known in the community. And so I feature on my show an organization, nonprofit, a cause, or an individual such as yourself who does great work in the community. And I did some reading, and I was reading about uh, some of the some of the people that you've helped, some of the services you've donated. One of them was CO2 fractional laser for a person who had marks on her face due to, I think, smallpox, I believe. That's right. She's a beautiful uh, young woman from South Africa who's come to L.A. to become an actor. And uh, she had uh, marks on her from childhood to smallpox, which is an issue uh, in certain parts of Africa. And it took 30 to 40 treatments uh, to really remove those marks. And we were glad to help her out. She was uh, in our service area and was part of our community outreach and came in and we were able to help her. She was told by other centers over in uh, at uh, some of the larger hospitals they could not help her. They didn't want to risk depigmenting her natural pigment because of her African heritage. And uh, we were able to help her uh, without her damaging her native pigment, which is great. Wow, I bet she was very happy with that. It's very generous. We hope to see her at the Oscars yeah. someday. <laughs> yeah, right? That'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Martin, you're also uh, one of the foremost experts on both HGH, human growth hormone therapy, as well as stem cell infusions. And I know that you've done some work uh, related to those as well. Can you share any stories? That's right. We have uh, quite a children. We have uh, over 30 children who are in a program uh, that have they've come to see us because they're short. They're what we say, we, in med- medical language, we say they're beneath the 50th percentile. So they're below the 50th percentile on the growth curve. These are very, very short children that uh, uh, who are distressed. Their parents are upset and they're distressed because they're not tall enough and they feel like they're going to be discriminated against in our society. So um, what we do very carefully is we, we do monitoring of their blood tests and see if they're candidates to receive uh, uh, certain doses of human growth hormone for this issue. And they've done quite well. Generally, uh, uh, we would say 95% of the children have grown successfully. And uh, now we're seeing small children turning into uh, basketball players as they reach uh-huh. their late, late teens. We like that. What a what a great thing that that's available now. Something that wasn't just a couple of decades yeah. ago. Yes, we discovered too that some of the uh, children have siblings who uh, were not disclosed to us in the beginning, and they too are beneath the fiftieth percentile. The parents have simply chosen one sibling over another to receive treatment because of the cost of the treatment. None of this is really covered by private insurance or Medi-Cal, and so uh, they've had to choose one child over the other. We we call call it Sophie's Choice in reference to the film uh, uh, by the same name. And when we discover that, we have a foundation that kicks in and we try to uh, take care of those children as well by reducing the costs and helping the family out. So again, that's another community outreach project that we're working on now. Funding that foundation fully. 
That's that's fantastic. Does the foundation have a name yet? Not yet. We're putting it all together. Okay. We had uh, wonderful donors who suggested different names, but uh, we're hesitant to use Sophie's Choice, so we may have to use something else. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, we'll talk again, you know, after that's been done. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with world-renowned Dr. Alex Martin of MetroMD. I want to go back to, of course, I've already read your description, you know, your bio and everything that you do, but let's go back to your practice of MetroMD and some of the major services that you provide and your specialties. Yes. We've been focusing uh, on the aging patient and trying to correct damage that's uh, related to the aging process. So uh, many of our orthopedic colleagues have also focused on the aging processes because the joints are very, very much impaired and we've all learned that platelet-rich plasma and certain kinds of stem cells have been very beneficial in treating damaged or aging joints that uh, are not quite ready for joint replacement. And many of us don't want to have a joint replacement, so we'd like to have intervention prior to that. So that's one thing that we focus on. The other uh, important issue that we're all learning is replacement of hormones as they diminish with the aging process. So with our females, with our women, we like to look at progesterone and estrogen, estradiol, and the various uh, hormones related to the aging process in women. For men, uh, the primary hormone, of course, is testosterone. So doing careful monitoring of the blood tests and looking uh, always for the safety of these use of these hormones is our priority. We want to make sure that we use these hormones wisely and replace them uh, as they're, they're required. So uh, we like to use the compounding pharmacies to have bioidentical hormone replacement when we can. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that's, that, that helps a lot of people because I bet there, there are so many out there whose hormones are dropping as they get older, but they're not aware of it. They don't know why they're lethargic or they, their mood isn't what it used to be. That's right. And we're seeing this in the 25 to 30-year-olds. I mean, this is something none of us expected. And the uh, jury is still out as to why this is occurring so prematurely in this young group of people. So individuals as early as as young as 25, as I mentioned, 30 years of age, are seeing hormonal changes. Uh, Many of us are looking at sources of uh, stress, for example, stress in our society. Also, the estrogen-like compounds that are emitted in plastic containers, Mm -hmm. uh, environmental sources. So there's a lot going on that we need to still discover and look at and try to find out why it's occurring at such an early age. Makes sense. Going back to HGH, human growth hormone, aside from some what you did with children and what you're doing to help them with their growth, uh, and such. Can you discuss some benefits of it for just sort of the average person? Right. For adults, we all learned in the late 90s, from 1997 uh, into the 2000s, that uh, individuals who have wasting or who are losing muscle mass benefit greatly with the addition of human growth hormone. Uh, this was first uh, really identified in our uh, patients who struggling with the HIV issues and uh, that was one of the most 
drugs we found to protect muscles and shield muscles from wasting and uh, correcting something we call lipodystrophy. So that uh, knowledge spread to more than general population. So we're seeing now individuals who are having poor wound healing and uh, difficulty with muscle performance and uh, healing of injuries to muscles, benefiting from short courses of HGH as well. So it's really been a blessing uh, to all of us uh, in the older age groups as well. Wow, that's um, it's good to know. And I also am fascinated by, I don't know too much about it, but I really want to know about stem cell and stem cell infusions. Yes, this is something that all of us are excited about because this is really the 21st century medicine that we all hoped we would have. And recently we've been able to use live stem cells that are freshly harvested and FDA-approved from local sources here. And this has been such an interesting journey because prior to that we had to use frozen stem cells and also stem cells that were aging. And we don't want that. We'd like to have stem cells that are fresh, freshly harvested, so the potential for their survival is greater. And then we can place them in certain targeted areas to restore tissue. So we're all excited about this. It's all starting to really uh, develop throughout the medical world. Applications seem to be almost endless at this point. And it's very promising. Uh, This is something we really need to continue to develop. Wow, fascinating. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with world-renowned Dr. Alex Martin of MetroMD. For those of our listeners that are in Southern California and where your practice is, I know that you also offer certain aesthetics services. Uh, what are some of the, the new breakout technologies or you know anything that's new that people don't know about or might find sort of interesting? What's really exciting is the use of our own uh, body components to uh, perform in a way that uh, cosmetically that improves our looks. So we've been, uh, over the last two and a half to three years, we've taken uh, elements of the blood, cellular portions of the blood, for example, platelet-rich plasma, uh, PRP, which is quite well known, and uh, injected that in uh, certain areas, for, for example, the scalp which reactivates many times hair follicles and hair starts to grow again. Also, this can be used as a filler uh, in facial areas where you have collapse and loss of tissue. So um, it's exciting to have, uh, have that along with stem cells as well uh, for areas of damage where you, where you really have to do a lot of reconstructive work. So the, uh, the world of cosmetic medicine and uh, hematology and oncology, all of these specialties meet uh, in the in the realm of cellular medicine and it's very very exciting so I think that we're getting beyond Botox and uh, the usual fillers we're now in another world of uh, wonderful tissue fillers that are part become part of your body they're, they're living structures that, that belong to you now <laughs> yeah it makes sense if you can use it from within why not do that then this is synthetic and <laughs> All of these um, services and, and programs that you talked about, these are all available at MetroMD, your practice? That's right. Uh, we're located in Studio City, 11650 Riverside Drive, and it's uh, 
Yeah. So for someone who really would want to see you or get any of your treatments, but they're concerned about COVID, uh, what should they know? It's interesting uh, that we have a community program, part of our outreach, where we've been doing uh, COVID testing in the office with finger sick blood tests that are approved by the FDA for emergency use. And patients uh, come in that we urge them to wear a mask. We're all, of course, mask and glove. And uh, we practice uh, social distancing and uh, all of these things are very carefully adhered to in the office. So um, with COVID, I think it's very important not to uh, succumb to some of the political uh, uh, rhetoric that's going on now and to think of your safety, wear a mask, think of other people's safety, wear a mask, social distance. Let's get through this crisis. Let's get through it. We'll come out on the other side and we'll all be happy, hopefully, in the fall. Indeed. Uh, Dr. Martin, the website, what's your URL to your website? Uh, Yes. Our website is metromd, M-E-T-R-O-M-D dot net. And that's uh, really an easy website to remember. Okay, it's dot net. So metromd dot net. That's right. Fantastic. Before we go, is there anything you'd like to add? Any anything I haven't asked you? I'd like to add uh, my thanks to you for inviting me on the program today. Uh, you're my pleasure. Uh, uh, I've known we've known each other for many years, and you're a great friend. Thank you very much for having me on the program today. Thank it's, you. It's my honor, my pleasure. Thank you, Doctor. Yeah. Bye bye. Take care. That was the very brilliant Doctor Alex Martin of Metro MD, which is in Studio City, very close to uh, the station here at KPFK. Thank you, Dr. Martin, for being on the show today. The Blunt Post with Vic. Today I have three quotes for you, recent ones from members of Congress. The first one is from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She said, I couldn't agree more with Congressman Adam Schiff. If we are truly to honor Congressman John Lewis's legacy, we must stand up against the president's efforts to undermine our elections and the right to vote. The second quote is from Congresswoman Jackie Speer. She said, what do Trump's border wall and fatigued no-name army have in common? They're costly, destructive political stunts that undermine American values and make us look like any other tin pot dictatorship. The last quote is from Congressman Ted Lieu. He said, this is outrageous. Trump and Attorney General Barr have weaponized the Justice Department. Friends of the president get special favors while those who speak up get hammered. Michael Cohen was imprisoned for exercising his First Amendment rights. U.S. Department of Justice Office of the Inspector General must investigate. The Blunt Post with Vic. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, for his tireless work on The Blunt Post with Vic. And of course, thank you for joining me today. Uh, Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. And the handle is at Vic Jarami. That's at V-I-C 
G-E-R-A-M-I. The Blunt Post with Vic.